Merv Kane proved his resolve and courage countless times during his 13-year career at Richmond. Tonight, he will exemplify both characteristics when he discusses the events that rocked his world in September last year. Welcome, Merv. Thank you, Mike. Wherever we get to tonight, I want to tell you from the outset, I'm full of admiration for the way you've negotiated the last six months. Thanks, Mike. Um, it will seem trivial talking about football after you tell your story, so let's dispose of the footy stuff first, shall we? Almost 50 years in football since the ambitious little teenager from Witchy Proof decided that he might have wanted to play league football. Yeah, well, I got recruited um, to Richmond as a 17-year-old on the main street of Witcher Proof. Alan Swab drove to Witcher Proof uh, with Ronnie Carson, the, 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 the Richmond treasurer at yep. the time. We met after mass on the main street of Witcher Proof and uh, he told me, uh, Swabby told me he was a great, great footy person, as you know. He said that he was going to turn me into a champion, so it was mm. something I never, I never forgot and it was just great words of advice um, from a recruiting bloke at the time, yeah. So you come from Witchy Proof to Melbourne. Tell us about your first training session. Well, got off, on, got off uh, at Richmond on a pretty shaky, <laughs> shaky start, Mike. <laughs> So I trained with uh, Melbourne instead of Richmond, so I was working. So you you, yeah, you've gone from work to the uh... work to I got a new, I got a job as a you know doing a cadetship with the PMG or Australia Post at the time. So work had finished and I caught the tram out to Punt Road. And by the time I got there, all the players had left and gone to train over the the railway bridge there at Gosh's Paddock. And so Charlie Callender said to me, "Okay, son, just go over the footbridge. You'll you'll see a bunch of guys <laughs> and train with them." So trained with them for a couple of hours and the coach then said, OK, boys, we'll finish off with the lap, lap of the tan around the botanical gardens. So we'd lap of the tan and then back over the footbridge and instead of turning then right to go to Punt Road, we went left to go to the MCG and a, a guy come up to me and said, son, uh, welcome to the club. Have we got your details? And I said... I said to the guy, yeah, Alan Swab's got all my details. <laughs> and he said, son, this is Melbourne, mate. You're at the wrong club. Richmond's over there. So, yeah, so that you, was the end of it. So you spent 90 minutes training with the wrong team? 90 minutes training with the wrong team. How was your form? It was pretty good, actually. What's I was this? quite happy. <laughs> 238 games, three premiership medals. How many Brownlow votes, Murph? <laughs> well, um, as the, uh, the, the, the mythology goes... Two, two Brownlow votes. <laughs> so more premiership medals than Brownlow votes. Correct, yeah. But if, I, if you want me to ruin a good story, officially I got four Brownlow votes. So I don't, I don't want to mention that. that. No, <laughs> leave that bit out, will you? It's, it just does fit the, the, the Merv Kane image, though, doesn't it? That uh, you, just, you did your job, you were there every week, and no-one noticed you. Yeah, probably. But I, I, you, and you would understand I played with some stars... Yes. Absolute stars. And, you know, I'd put a pro probably say to myself, well, I played in two eras at Richmond. I played in that 73-74 era with those wonderful players led by Royce and Stewie and mm. KB and Berkey and Barmy, etc., etc. Sheeds. And then another great era later on with the Flea and Rainsy and Ghost. 82-82. Yeah, yep. 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 So there were some, some brilliant players. Just so that people don't misunderstand your role, in the 1980 grand final, you had 27 possessions playing as a ruck rover and kicked two goals. No, it's just a number, Mick, I suppose. <laughs> so you no. weren't just a dour halfback flanker, <laughs> were you? No, well, TJ told you on that night we had dinner that mm. I should have been a midfielder. 
And he made you a midfielder, didn't he? He did, yeah. yeah. The respect that you've got in the footy world is widespread and so it's become apparent in the last six months. I mean, just you must be really fortified by the fact that the, your own footy club, Richmond, and the football world in general has just come to support you. Very much so. And, uh, yeah, I've been overwhelmed by the, uh, by the support of the, of the football world. I work at Essendon. I've been there for 11 years, but before then, assistant coach. But the Richmond Footy Club... And, of course, I've got a, a massive family network. There's, uh, I've got seven brothers and sisters um, and a huge family network, you know, all around Victoria and Australia. So people have been very, very supportive. And obviously I've got my two boys who, uh, you know, we, st we stick together and we look after one another. Yeah. How do you possibly cope with the loss of your daughter and then your wife in the space of 25 days? Well, we're still, we're still trying to cope, Mike. Um, and... Probably as we were talking before, and uh, I, I was obviously been seeking some counselling, and the the professionals say that um, you know, like it could be at the six month period when things really start to sink in. So I think we're at that stage now where you know the what ifs and the you know just the the thinking about it. But um, you know we're just taking one day at a time, and uh, most of the time they're good good days and uh, as I said so much support that I've got I never feel alone um, I never feel as if I, I need support so it's been terrific but my main focus is to look after the boys and, mm -hmm. and they're, they're committed to look after me so we're mm -hmm. always looking at, out for each other Just grand final week was a, a, a huge um, almost diametrically different emotions wasn't it midweek mm -hmm. you lose Kay yep. and on the Saturday you're at the, uh, at the grand final yep which I suppose when I first heard you were there, I was wondering, I said, you know, how difficult it would have been for you to yeah, go. Yeah. Well, initially, well, we lost we lost our daughter Emily um, on the second of September, um, and we'll talk about that now or a little bit later. But then, then, and then we lost Kay on the Wednesday before the before the grand final. So initially, we were going to the grand final, Joel and, Joel and myself. And then after Kay died, that we we decided no, we wouldn't go. And then Richmond contacted us and they wanted to they offered that they wear that the players wear the black armbands for Kay and so we agreed to that uh, which we thought was a very nice gesture and then the AFL rang up on the Saturday morning and invited me to the uh, the AFL members so Joel and I went and um, we were glad we were there and we, we saw you know when the boys ran out that the armbands were on yeah. and that was a really significant moment in our lives I would say. Yeah, and, and people came up to you and, I mean, I think the story was known in the football fraternity then, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, I think so, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. well, there's a lot of, obviously, the, uh, you know, the AFL heavyweights around, so sort of word probably got around as I was sitting there and, um, you know, some, some very distinguished people came up and offered their condolences and it was very, very genuine, so we we're most support, appreciative of, of that, mm. yeah. Emily was a doctor? Emily was a doctor. Yeah. 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 How old? Th late thirties. Thirty-six. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was a she was a, a gynaecologist, obstetrician. She worked at the um, the Royal Women's Hospital. She was a, she was a brilliant doctor, and um, she studied obviously all through school. She got um, fantastic results, you know. And she went through Melbourne University, and um, she got great results there. I can remember, you know, at her graduation, her passing out, that she actually got. She ran second in the overall sort of awards, if you like, at Melbourne University, and uh, a little Chinese girl knocked her off. Mm -hmm. So she, she was always very, very, very filthy on that. But that was the way she was a fierce competitor, and um, and she got a great job at the Royal Women's Hospital. Um, 
and uh, she was an outstanding doctor and delivered delivered hundreds hundreds of babies um, to the women of Melbourne. And then as time went on, you know, like this was all, all everything was going beautifully into her early 30s, and then um, she started to get sick. She got depression, which led to alcoholism, and um, and uh, you know, eventually she she went to rehab and tried that three or four times, and um, you know, tried you know, living rehabilitation and daycare rehabilitation, all that sort of stuff. But um, as much as she was trying, she just couldn't. She, as much as she was fighting it, she just couldn't couldn't get through. She passed away. How difficult? I mean, I've got two girls. I can't imagine it, but I'm sort of trying to imagine the pain of watching a brilliant daughter and a, and a beautiful-looking girl. Not that that is important, but mm. just someone you had such a bond with. Yeah. Just not being able to, to make do in life. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, yeah, she right. She was a she was a beautiful girl, um, and. Uh, I don't know. We we're just go. We we're just going through it, but you know, she had such a great life ahead of her, um, and um, just couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't get herself well. Three weeks later, d Kay goes. Mm -hmm. Did did Kay blame herself at all for what happened to Emily? Yeah, she did. Um, and you know, I like just talking about Emily. Like we we were sort of coping. Like I always felt, felt that we we'd cried enough with Emily trying to get better. She would cry. When she wasn't well, she'd cry every day or every second day. And um, so, in a sense, when Emily passed, we thought, well, you know, we love, we love her, but she's, she's at peace, you know? She's at peace, and we were grieving. Um, and we had the funeral, it was a couple of weeks later. Um, we had the funeral, we, we, we were grieving, but it was a sense that we were, you know, there was some, something to, you know, to, to move on, you know, in, in her memory. Um, but then we got a we got a letter from the uh, from the coroner Mike um, about Emily's death. The coroner wanted to investigate Emily's death, which they do because she died at home, age thirty six. And and the letter for me was just sort of not quite written the way it should have been written because they said that we're we're conducting an investigation in Emily's death. Now Kay opened the letter, she opened the letter, and she interpreted that being in such a fragile state, which Kay was at the time fragile, and she blamed herself. For Emily and she felt as if she let Emily down and as you would as a mother because they were best friends they were besties and um, they did everything together um, and Kay saw the letter and interpreted that there was an investigation that that she felt as if they were investigating her mm. um, she couldn't deal with it she couldn't deal with it no I have I've, I've written to the I've written to the coroner expressing those views and I you know I'm hoping that we might be able to do something about you know, letters that arrive in the mail in such circumstances. So, so you and Kay believed that Emily had died because of alcoholism, correct? Yes. Yeah, so, well, yeah. a death certificate says she yeah. died of alcoholism. So, what was the coroner tried? What didn't uh, the coroner issue that certificate to say that it was alcoholism? They may not have got that. We may not have had the death certificate by then. I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah, the, the death certificate came later. So they were doing an investigation, which, as I say, is a normal. It's a normal mm. thing. But the words, as as they are written. Interpreted by Kay, you know, not the right way. Did you have any fears about Kay's welfare? Or when did they first surface with you <coughs> that they needed to be really concerned about your wife? Well, it was probably from that point when you look look back now. It was probably at that point when she read the letter because she kept on saying that you know I'm being investigated, and we we sort of um, we uh, we suggested to Kay that she go to hospital, not because she was 
physically sick or anything like that, but just go to hospital where she could get 24-hour treatment, where we should be she would, people would look after her where, would she, where she would be safe. Um, but she didn't, um, she didn't want to do that because like the way with Emily, with her illness, unfortunately we'd had to call an ambulance so many, so many times for Emily. Um, she got herself in trouble, you know, falling down in the street or collapsing, you know, we're at work or wherever it may be. And probably I'm sure Kay thought, well, for God's sake, we've used up the resources of the ambulances and hospitals so many times for Emily. She probably decided, no, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Wow. How did, you, how did you cope with the... You've got two sons. Mm -hmm. What was your message to them? How did you comfort them? Not that... I mean, you needed comfort of your own, yeah, but yeah. As, the, as the parent, what did yeah. you say to the boys? Oh, I don't think I said anything directly, like, specifically. I can't remember doing anything like that, but I think we just probably realised that, that, that at that time, that you know, like, it's us now and we're, we're in it together. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that that's the way the boys have sort of handle it. They, they always make sure, you know, probably over the top a little bit, just make sure I'm okay. Um, and are the, you okay? Yeah, the one thing I can say about myself, which I think when I look back over my life, being the farm boy from which you prove, mm. farm boy certainly helps. Um, and also got no doubt about like the, the influence of football and the people that I've been in, associated with in football as, um, you know, really, I didn't realise how strong I was. And I've got to say that, you know, that footy, footy made me that way. I probably shouldn't... Look, I can feel myself not wanting to even go here, but I just can't imagine how you felt when, when Kay had gone to, on top of Emily, and how you, you viewed the world and, and just how unfortunate your family was. Yeah, well... Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's like it's still, it's still pretty raw. Um, but um, I was on my way home... Um, just on my way home, I'd gone back to work by that stage after Emily passed away and we had the funeral. And Kay was a teacher, you know, she was a brilliant teacher at Clifton Hill Primary School and they were, they were amazing the way they looked after our family as well, the, the primary school and they'd had a memorial service for Kay. But I was on my way home and Joel, who wasn't living at home, he, he got to Ivanhoe about five minutes before me. Now, unfortunately he found, he found Kay so, you know. I should, I should have found Kay, but I didn't. Joel did. Wow. I don't know what to say to that. Um, I just can't imagine your pain, that's all. Mm. Well, we're, we're surviving, and they're, they're two great women. Great women. So, you know, we'll... Um, hmm. You know, and they would have had... They probably would have had another 50 years between them mm. together. Why have you decided to talk, Merv? Well, because I um, spoke to the boys about it. Joel was a little bit reticent at, at first, but uh, I just want to... I think we can help people. Um, I'm going to take up um, some work with the Royal Women's Hospital in you know, next month. So that, that I've spoken to Kim Jansen, that was Emily's boss at the Royal Women's, and, um, and we want to just talk to young doctors... Um, at the Royal Women's in particular, and just talk to them about welfare and well-being, and you know, just lowering the guard maybe about people looking out for them and maybe mm -hmm. even helping to to run their life because you know they do lead such 
stressful lives in a, in a sense, but very hard working at long hours, they work. And for me, experiencing Emily, she needed she needed someone to look after her, her life, her, mm -hmm. her career, her well-being, just her day-to-day -day stuff, you know, like even opening her mail or doing her banking or paying her bills and doing her shopping, all that sort of stuff. Um, that I think that's an important thing for young doctors to just embrace and um, be open towards that. So this is not doctors and their patients, this is you talking directly to the doctors about the pressures that they'll find themselves yeah, under. Yeah, exactly. And knowing, obviously, of course, that all of them are brilliant brilliant young people you know they're very smart they're very clever um you know the they're high achievers all that sort of stuff but there's other parts of their life that mm. they may just to be aware just need to be aware of do you feel better when you're speaking to people i mean this is on television this is very brave of you to do this mm. but do you feel better when you sort of talk about what the events of the last yeah, six months yeah, yeah, yeah i'm very i'm very comfortable talking about it and um as you know, we had dinner with yourself and uh, Tony Jewell, my great coach. Jeff Jeffrey Rains. And Jeffrey Rains. And Don yeah. Scott. <laughs> and Donnie Scott, yeah. yeah. So we, we, did have, we had a great evening down at Tony Jewell's place at Sorrento a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I've, just, I've been able to probably reconnect with a lot of people as well. Um, you know, my former teammates, um, I just always had a great relationship with Ian Stewart and he invited me up to his farm couple of weeks ago as well and catching up with people like Mickey Malthouse and Barry Rowlings and Robbie Wiley and Kevin Sheedy and all the all the Sheedy family. Well like, the Sheedy's I, are I, lifelong friends of yours, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, yeah. Well Geraldine, Kevin's wife, was we're in our wedding parties together. Well the girls were in wedding parties together, so they've been lifelong friends and Kay and Geraldine went to went to school together and Leone, so mm -hmm. they've been lifelong lifelong buddies, yeah. When you talk to the to your ex teammates the normal manly thing is you talk about footy and, and the cricket and stuff like that. Are you able to... Uh, is there an emotional exchange between, say, you and Kevin Sheedy? Can you sit... And Mickey Malthouse, do you sit and talk about the deeper things? Um, well, I think some, pe some people I can talk about, you know, those events and, other, and others it's... We just talk about... We just talk about life in general or footy and pa or past things in footy. Yeah, yeah, but I, I find it all very therapeutic, that's for sure. Mm. Well, yeah. uh, you, you're, you've renewed your uh, friendship with Mickey Malthouse. Yeah. When you and he are together, yeah. how does the conversation go? Do you raise, or does he raise the issue with, with Emily and Kay, or does it, uh, how does that Well, we, we were always very tight as families back in the day, as players. We were very tight, and I'm, I'm godfather to, to one of his sons, Kane. Um, and then obviously Mick moved on to you know, the high-pressure job of coaching the AFL, um, you know, for 30-plus years. Um, so, no, we can talk about anything. And you know what it's like? It's like we've, we've never been apart. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's pretty much the same as with the, every, all, the, all the footy people we catch up with. And that's probably the same that you, you would understand as well. It's like you've never, be, you've never been apart, even though you've, you may be separated for a decade or more. Where do you turn in your low moments? Inevitably, there have been low moments for you and there'll probably still be because it's only at the six-month mark. Mm. Who or what do you turn to then? Well, I, I went to counselling in the early stages and um, I just felt that wasn't the right fit for me, just being just going to see the, the professional, so to speak. Um, and I, I only, I've only been twice, uh, but I do like talking to people that, that know me, that know my family, that know what happened, all that sort of stuff. I think that's much better. And I've also... I met Jeff Kennett at the grand final. Mm -hmm. 
Jeff came up, put his arm around me, and you, as you would know, he's an expert in that type of thing. You know, beyond with Blue, his, yeah. With his Beyond Blue, yeah. But he's now stepped away from that. But he, he invited us to his to his office, so we're, we're going... You and the boys? Yep, yep. Um, yep, Joel, Zach and myself. And so yeah. we're, we're going out there again very shortly into his, his offices in, uh, in Richmond. Uh, but he, he, he just knows, you know, he's probably experienced everything. In, in in his in his job at that time as it was uh, he can have sort of he can answer anything and and I just think it's good that the boys can look at a, a high profile guy who can talk very down to earth to our family so he'll he'll do the counseling Jeff will himself Jeff will do the counseling yeah. it's talking it's just basically yeah, talking yeah, you know? yeah. and and he'll and if we've got you know oh, what if this and we should have done that and you know he, he invariably so far he's just had a very obvious answer and so we he makes us feel very comfortable Mm. Yep. You felt the need to move out of the, the family home. Mm -hmm. Yep. You've been there. You've been in Ivanhoe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, we were in Ivanhoe for uh, 27 years. Um, so we had a beautiful family, you know, for, in that period of time. Beautiful. They, the kids grew up from Joel, the oldest, was uh, about 10 or 11 at the time. So they grew up, went to school in Ivanhoe. You know, we know all the we know massive families in Ivanhoe, the shops, you know, the, mm. all the facilities there. It was just fantastic. So, as it's happened now, well, I've decided we'll yeah we'll move on from Ivanhoe. I'm living in, in an apartment in Abbotsford now, which was Emily's apartment, and I just feel that I feel really great synergy there as well. Um, and it's just probably it's also a bit so shattering that Emily, like it's a beautiful place, a beautiful apartment, beautiful ambience where we live, and she just unfortunately just, she just couldn't see it at the time. You know? mm. And there's too many bad memories for you there, aren't there, in, in Ivanhoe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I could, I could eventually live in Ivanhoe, but I certainly won't be living, you know, at home. Mm. No. Now, if you took the two boys overseas late last year, yeah. was that always planned, or did you do that to sort of just give them a breather? No, well, it was planned because my brother was going to New York, so um, we had tentative plans, you know, in the latter part of the year to we'd go, we'd do the New York thing with my brother and his family and us as a family. Um, so then, as things panned out, we decided to extend the stay a bit. And um, working at Essendon in recruiting, I just decided we do that. They do have an AFL academy over there in Florida. So it ended up being with Joel. We ended up having a 38-day tour of the states. Yeah. We went to Washington and San Francisco and Vegas and Florida. It was just a New York course. It was just amazing. Zach had to get back to work, so he was there for 10 or 12 days. But, uh, no, it was a beautiful trip. Good therapy. Great therapy, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're working at Essendon now, which means, as I said before, about almost 50 years in this business. Mm -hmm. What did the Bombers... How did they react to the circumstances of September? Oh, well, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't have asked for anything more the way Essendon looked after me, um, cared for me, um, were thinking about me, provided for me... Um, so yeah, it was it was faultless. It was faultless, and and I speak um, I speak for the whole club, being the, the staff, the coaches, the players, um, and people around the periphery. It's just been overwhelming, really, very gratifying. You're remarkably strong mentally. I mean, have you have you worried about yourself at all in the last six months? Um, not really. No, no, because as I said before, I've just I, I did realise um, how strong I am and how strong that football made me. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it's a little bit like I coach for 18 years and, and there's highs and lows in coaching, even though they're obviously nothing to do with 
life and death that there's so many highs and lows which you've got to and you've got to you know the next day you've got to get players up or level them down or whatever it may be so mm. you know the whole package sort of I can see quite clearly how it made me such a strong person. How difficult has it been though when you've got to focus on watching blokes play footy mm. in your sort of forward scout role <laughs> and actually when you're standing there say by yourself and just thinking the balance between what's happening in your life and what you've got to do in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel as if I can sort of compartmentalise a little bit, you know. I'm at the footy, I can feel myself concentrating. Um, so that's fine, although most definitely it's taken me it took, it's taken me a while to get going this year. Mm. Like after we got back from, from the States, it, it, it's taken me a while to get, to get going. Yeah. You and I talked, when we talked about perhaps coming on this program, mm. you and I talked about clearly it needs to be, there needs to be a positive spin-off from it. Mm -hmm. That people who might find themselves in, in similar sets of circumstances would get something out of it. Would you have a message to anyone that, that might see themselves <coughs> in that situation? I think I'm still trying to think it all the way through, but um, I would say, I would definitely say talk, you know, seek advice, um, open up, because um, I find that that's, you know, certainly been the best ther therapy for me, mm -hmm. but, so I think it's, I think it is, I think it's just, just talking, um, as I say, I, haven't, I probably haven't quite nailed, nailed it as yet. As to but, what, but there's no, um, what's it? There's nothing in you when you when you digest what happened that you sort of say to yourself, perhaps I should have done this or maybe I could have done that. Well, with Emily, um, obviously she was well, she was sick, and I say she was only sick for about five years, four or five years. Prior to that, she was healthy, happy, hard worker, you know, all that sort of stuff. So there's four or five years. Emily and our family sort of went through hell at various stages and at various degrees over that period of time. And I might have said, Emily, you know, spent, spent a lot of time crying, mm. you know, trying to get better. And I, I always made my resolve, you know, if things, if something was going to happen to Emily, that I was going to do everything in my power as a father to leave no stone unturned that I could help her, you know, mm. if that, if that, if, if and when that day arrived. So... Yeah, I just felt at the time I'd done it. Emily had done enough crying, so I, I didn't want to do any more crying for Emily. She'd done enough. Now, just so that I don't seem to be opportunistic with this, mm. I haven't badgered you about doing no, this. No, no, not at all. No. Not at all. I know we've spoken when we bump into each other. You've yeah. asked me to come on the show. Yeah, if you're comfortable. Well, well and truly, yeah. prior to this. Yeah, you know, prior to this. So, and then when we uh, when we had dinner down at Tony's place, TJ's place, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was mentioned again, and. Um, and, uh, you know, I listened to TJ and, and Rainsy and those and I spoke to my son, so no, I don't feel that at all. And I just, I'm hoping that we can, some good can come out of this to make it a little bit public, but also to, you know, that when I get my opportunity to talk to the doctors at mm. Royal, Royal Women's Hospital and also when, if I can make my contribution to the, um, to the coroner's office about, about, you know, the way they disseminate information. Well, like everyone else, I admired you as a footballer, um, particularly the Richmond people that knew you best. Come, my admiration for you has just gone up, you know, a hundredfold uh, the way you've handled yourself in the last six months. You've been very brave to come on. Hopefully it'll help a few people who might find themselves in a similar set of circumstances and I just wish you all the best for the future, mate. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.